Hello, everybody. Welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood, and we just wrapped up our ETS 19 event. It was a great time, and we'll have a lot of videos and conversations coming out of that that you should be looking forward to going forward. Uh, but as for this episode, I've got my co-host with me as always, Aaron Hardick. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm doing well, Dylan. I have my coffee and water, and I'm ready to podcast. Our guest today is John Baxa. He is the president of the Americas for Hanson Technologies, who were just at our ETS 19 event. Among other things, they featured on an interesting panel around humanizing data. To that end, we're going to continue the conversation about the relationship between data aggregation and the customer experience. And thank you for being here to talk about this, John. Well, thanks, Dylan. And Aaron, thanks for having me. And uh, I enjoyed the uh, ETS summit myself. Yes. Uh, well, we're happy to we're happy to have put on a good show for you. So, John, there are a lot of people in energy doing different things with data. What is Hanson doing differently with data aggregation and application? I think an important context probably to answer that is globally, we serve a variety of industries and clients in the utility space, electric, gas, and water utilities. We also have telecommunications clients and pay TV clients. And these clients are spread across 80 countries worldwide. So we're across a lot of different markets, countries, and industries. And despite all these different industries, there's remarkable similarities across them because fundamentally all of our clients gather data, some unit of measure, whether it's minutes of, of cell phone use or you know, metered electricity, and they have to run it through some kind of pricing algorithm to uh, calculate charges and generate a bill. So because we're across multiple industries, but we see similar type processing, um, you, you know, I think we can learn, bring a lot of lessons to, uh, to today's podcast. We're also seeing, um, you know, kind of innovations around how products are being structured and packaged together and, and bundled that started really first in the telecommunications industries. And, and we're starting to see those now work their way into pay TV and the utilities and, and uh, just, just the various kind of, um, you know, deregulation, retail market competitions, you know, competition at the end of the day does really drive innovation. And we're seeing lots of examples around that different places around the world and how, the, how they're working into, you know, like the U.S. market in my case. So, John, you just mentioned one thing that kind of sticks out to me, especially when we start to think about how energy can look at other industries that have kind of undergone some digital transformation and pull lessons learned. You mentioned yep. creating better programs and services. We saw that happen with telecom when the cell phone came. People yeah, stopped absolutely. paying for, you know, uh, to to call people and text people, they started paying for data plans. So my question is kind of on that idea of looking outside of energy to kind of learn some lessons. What trends in data are you seeing in some non-energy clients or other industries um, that have applicable lessons to energy? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, actually. Seeing lots of trends, and particularly... The trends we're seeing are, uh, I guess, kind of in two categories. One, th things in the telecommunications world around, you know, products and bundling and ease of configuring kind of a, a portfolio of products um, are, are making their way into the energy world. And then the second thing we're seeing is uh, the, the ability to use digital data and some new technologies 
to, to actually create energy-based products that just they, they, they didn't exist any before because they're, they're virtual products. So without digital technology and data, these, pro these products couldn't exist, but now they're actually starting to make their way into the market. So let, let me take them one at a time. So I'll start with things on the telecom side. So one, one example that we're seeing is we, we call it the, the shopping cart experience, but it's, it's similar to, you know, if you walk into a, a cell phone store and you, you buy a new cell phone, but then the, the person generally has a, a, some kind of iPad or tablet and they're selecting, you know, different options or things you could add to your, your cell phone plan and just kind of, you know, touching them on the screen and, and then that becomes your, your shopping cart. And when you're ready to check out, you get a new phone and it's configured with all different software and, and maybe international calling plans or kind of whatever you, whatever you just what chose. And this, this has been well established in the telecom markets and people just take it for granted actually. Um, we're starting to see similar type, you know, shopping cart on energy clients portals, right? People go up to a, an energy um, retailer, for instance, and wanna, you know, sign up for energy service. But there's similar type shopping carts being developed where you could you could get your electricity, but maybe you're going to get some kind of add-on solar energy plan or maybe some kind of service around your HVAC equipment. Things like that are, are making their way from telecom into energy. We're also seeing, you know, product bundling, which that's very common in telecom to have telephone, internet, cell phone, television all bundled onto one bill. And we're seeing the same thing now with energy and energy services being bundled um, uh, for residential. And, and actually we're seeing it more right now in commercial and industrial type clients because they have sophisticated energy needs. A lot of them have sophisticated energy management systems, distributed generation type products. So bundling of energy with services is another trend. And I guess the third one would be just around conditional pricing, discounting. Telecoms have had that for a long time, free, free nights or weekends, things like that. Because of the prevalence of time of use meters, energy companies can, can provide that now as well. And, and many are. That one's probably been around before. In terms of new energy products that have shown up that just couldn't exist without data and digital technology underneath them, a couple of examples of that are the name that, that I've seen is called virtual generation. And this is something that we're seeing in the Europe market. In fact, one of our clients has successfully now completed some pilots where they create uh, not, not traditional generation, where tradi traditional generation might be a huge power plant sitting somewhere that just puts electricity onto the grid. A virtual power plant is made up of could distributed generation. So it could be solar farms, it could be um, some gas generation near a hospital, some kind of cogen facility. And through digital technology, they can manage all of this distributed generation as if it was a single power plant sitting somewhere and it can be scheduled onto the grid like a single power plant could be. And th these have now been successfully piloted in Europe. I, I'm not aware of any in the US yet. Um, and that's all because of interconnected data exchanges and the ability to, you know, to manage the, the, the output from all these different distributed resources. A similar project, is taking place actually right in our backyard. Uh, I'm based in our New York City office here, and there's a project in Brooklyn that's called the uh, Brooklyn Microgrid, if uh, your listeners wanna just Google it. And it's very similar to what I just described, 
it's kind of, uh, it's, it's called a community energy network. It has the same concept. Um, instead of uh, building a big power plant in Brooklyn, they're using digital technology, including blockchain technology, to actually communicate with all these distributed either solar generation facilities or, or micro facilities that are, are in the neighborhood and to turn them into, you know, a, a managed, if you will, generation asset. So again, with kind of interconnected generation facilities and now blockchain, which again is really kind of in the, in the experimental stages, but it is being used in, in prototype now right in our backyard here in New York City. You can't imagine something like that existing five years from now or that a regulator would, would even consider it potentially as an option because, you know, in the electric world, there's reliability standards that you have to comply with. So, you, you know, if you have some interesting technology, but it's, it, it can't be there when it's needed, when, you know, peak, you know, demand peaks, for instance, if it's not reliably dispatched, et cetera, then, you know, a regular bot won't be able to consider it yet as part of the generation portfolio. But, but these projects now have successfully completed pilots. They, they've successfully met, uh, you know, demand regulation requirements and, and they're becoming real. So uh, I think it's a pretty exciting time in the energy world. So I did want to ask one follow-up question on something you mentioned um, first, which was this idea of kind of the build your own, um, you go into the store and you kind of choose your plan, the build your own plan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes utilities can get overwhelmed with the idea of having a lot of offerings for their customers, especially undergoing a transformation where you're still really trying to figure out what exactly your customers want. What are you yeah. seeing with utilities in terms of them kind of prioritizing certain offerings? Are there certain offerings that you're seeing utilities lead with and then saying, okay, this may come down the line, but this is where we'll start? Have you seen that yeah. at all? Yeah, actually, in what we're seeing today, and it, and it makes sense, it's not, it's not necessarily the, like that leading edge, you know, innovation thing, examples I just talked about, but it, it's really kind of, you know, the basics of improving customer experience. So we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of our clients actually um, either investing in or, you know, inquiring about, for instance, um, CRM, customer relationship management systems. And these are systems that run in a call center, could run in, uh, on, on a customer portal or handheld devices, it, just to give clients more ways to interface with the utilities, some of which may be considered commonplace, uh, you know, mobile phone apps, I think a lot of us just take for granted, but not all utilities have got very well-developed applications that are integrated with their, their customer service centers or their website. So having, you know, all those digital kind of interfaces with the customer tied together, we're seeing a lot of focus from our clients on that. So number one, you just get to reach out to your clients the way they want to interact with you, which is really important. And then also by taking on those projects, you start understanding better what a customer really wants in terms of the service. And, and some of that does lead to things like improving the way bill is presented to a client or how it looks, to digital type payment methods, just making it easier to make payments on your phones, things like that. And I think that's, that's a good starting point because really you need to understand how to interact with the customers and, and, and meet their needs initially before you try to get, you know, run too fast down the road with some of the fancy stuff. Talking a bit about the customer experience, uh, you mentioned in telecom, people can just go and buy and set up a cell phone really, really easily yeah. uh, and really just well. start getting, 
yeah. and just start getting that data immediately. <laughs> How do you get yeah. energy services like just like the distributed generation or demand response or energy efficiency guaranteed service contracts to be as seamless as that? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. In fact, we, we we've been asked that question like, why is it that easy in the energy business and yeah, because we've been working with telecommunication companies for lots of years, because it's not that well known, um, is how long it took the telecommunication industry to standardize on data exchange protocols and make sure that all the, you know, the data hubs were in place and could talk to each other to make it that seamless. So it is easy to walk into a cell phone store, switch plans or switch carriers, but probably what most people don't realize it took years and years for the industry to through competition, you know, try different standards and then eventually settle on some so that Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, they all connect to the same backend data hubs and they use standard data exchanges so that, so this becomes very simple and easy. And right now in the energy industry, we, those same types of, you know, backend standards and infrastructure, they're not quite there yet. In fact, just in the U.S., from state to state and from market to market, there's different data hubs and different ways to exchange information. And um, it's one of the things that's challenging, even, you know, state to state, uh, it's not standardized in the U.S. So we still have a ways to go to, to make it as easy as walking into the cell phone store. But it is possible. Yeah, well, it is possible because it, 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 it wasn't that easy at one point in the telecommunications industry, right? So uh, as all these players started competing with each other, the natural tendency at first is to, is to probably fight standards or try to you know, promote your own because you, you want yours to be the one that everybody uses. But at the end, if you want competition, it's like any market, right? If uh, you know, having a common stock exchange, right, where everybody can buy and sell equity. So it's, uh, there needs to be a a maturity of the industry to, to actually agree on some of these, on some of these standards. Perhaps there'll be a day where you walk into Best Buy, you know, and, uh, you know, configure your home automation system and go home and plug it in and it all, it all fires up and works. I think that's what everybody wants. I mean, quite, quite honestly, as a consumer, I, I would love that. I'm in the industry, so I know I, I kind of follow the trends on even some of the home automation stuff, but if it's too tricky to set up or to use, it's not going to be that widely adopted. There are always early adopters who will take on the new technology, but it won't get widespread adoption until it gets easier to, to implement. So you're talking about that maturity of the, of the industry and getting them to agree on these, sta on these standards. Does that exclude the notion of perhaps, le perhaps legislative solutions? Is that not the direction we should be looking I don't think it precludes it now. I don't. Um, but, I, but I also kind of think that um, the innovations tend to drive some of these things too. I mean, a good example is blockchain, which there's a lot of, I think, good work going, going on out there around it. And once somebody kind of proves that it's, it's a capable standard or infrastructure and can be trusted for financial transactions, which is exactly what it was designed for, you know, it, something like that could lead the way. And oftentimes, you know, regulators will catch up to it. Um, because they, they, there might not be a regulatory answer today, but if a technology emerges that satisfies all the regulatory requirements, because those can't be those can't be ignored, especially for you know things like gas and electrical service or even you know water utilities. These, these are all critical services, and there's years of practical regulations around certain capacity demands and requirements that have to be met. Because you know obviously no one's gonna no one's interested in having electricity brownouts or 
you know, any kind of gas or water issues. So if there's technologies that emerge that can meet all the requirements to, to have a really a, a reliable service, I, th- I think they could actually lead the, the regulators down a path. Dylan, and I, so I agree with John on this one. This is something that came up at our event, City of the Future, which we did with uh, CPS Energy uh, a few months back now. And I can't remember who said it, but a woman got on stage and she was talking about this idea of, of uh, data standards and, and regulating the way that we use data. And, and she said something to the effect of, we need to be very careful around placing regulations around human uh, human interaction data because I don't think that utility regulators and utilities really understand what that data means. It's, it's a new type of data that we have. And so it can be very detrimental to create ill policy around data that we don't really understand right now and very detrimental to the, to the industry and restricting the use of that data if we don't know what exactly it is and how to use it. And innovation mm. is going to play mm. a large role in helping us understand how to better leverage human-centered, customer-centric data. And I do think that the, that, that innovation outside of, of the regulatory environment is what's going to lead us to be able to successfully use that down the line. And like John said, I'm, I'm sure regulation will catch up with that. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it, Aaron. I, 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 yeah, I agree. I think... I think the innovation is really going to be the, you know, provide a lot of the leadership. And, you know, a lot of these technologies and blockchain is a good example. We talk about it within our company and we're all still, you know, uh, trying to follow some examples where it's being successful and understand how people are, are implementing it. Cause it's, it's a little bit tricky to just understand. It's so new. It's, it's not like uh, you can have like a lunchroom conversation on it and everybody gets it. Right. So we're still trying to figure it out. Um, and then you have to overlay, you know, the world we live in, um, there's, there's valid, you know, just privacy and in information security, you know, issues that you have to, you know, you have to live in and comply with those as well. So, um, and that's going to take innovation to make sure people feel like the data is secure and safe. But one thing, so one thing that we do know, though, is that people and energy energy professionals, energy service providers, utilities are interested in using data to create better experiences for customers. Yeah, absolutely. In our most, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In our most recent yeah. report, we surveyed utilities and they said the number one benefit of digitalization was tied between customer choice and engagement and analytics-based decision-making. The latter one is easy to parse because the analytics are the way of really synthesizing that data. But on the other side, how are utilities leveraging their data to allow customers to better find and enroll in programs? So it is that idea of not only using analytics-based decision-making to improve your operations, but using yeah. it to improve the customer experience as well. Yeah, and if you, if you, if you build on that, you know, some of the things that the trends that are happening just around for renew, renewables, for instance, um, you, you know, renewable solar and wind are, I mean, they're not only here to stay, I mean, they're growing and you're seeing utilities around the country commit to be 100% renewable, you know, sometime in the next 20 years, 30 years, different, different timelines. Uh, Excel Energy was one of the, I think, first large utilities to come out and make a commitment. Um, 
I might not remember the date, but maybe it's 2050. They want to be 100% renewable. I mean, this, this is just this is a trend that's that's here to stay. And you mentioned, Aaron, um, you know, customer choice. There's there's a lot of interest in um, being able to get energy in different ways um, than the traditional way, and that's going to be part of the you know the shopping cart experience. And if people want to invest in solar for their homes, the the concept that if the sun's out and you're generating more electricity than you're actually using that day, and there's an opportunity to just sell it back into a market, it's like an eBay, right? I mean, if you have something, you know, that's valuable that somebody else can use, just put it out for auction and somebody can buy it. And then, you know, financial credit shows up on your invoice. I mean, I think consumers would love that, but they don't want to deal with any complexity if, if, if it works seamlessly. And it just, it's a win-win. They're, they're, they're kind of getting the choices they want. They get some financial incentives. To, to do it, which is almost like icing on the cake at that point. John, what are some, what are some ways you've been surprised by things that utilities have or have not done with data? You know, I mentioned this in Europe, in several countries, that they, they recently completed some some virtual power plant prototypes. And I, honestly, when I read this, I had to read it twice because I, I really didn't think it was ready yet, that the the data and the technology was ready to implement something like that, but it, but it has been done. Uh, one of the European utilities who who had, who had invested in some companies that were doing this, and 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 they made it happen. And I was I was completely amazed. In fact, I remember emailing some of my colleagues saying, in in our Europe office, are, have you been working at all or tracking any of these clients over there? Because I'm just I'm really impressed that they've been able to do this so soon. I haven't haven't seen it yet in the U.S. And one of my Australian counterparts came back and he, he made the comment, he goes, yeah, I've been tracking it. In fact, there's, there's a similar type prototype that started up here with one of the Australian energy companies. So that's, that's probably one of the biggest surprises that I've been pleasantly really happy to see moving along. Because again, it's that innovation curve that I think is really important. I think in terms of what they have not done with data, that's just on a practical level, it, I really think, you know, mobile applications and being able to provide a complete experience on your phone, it, utilities were a bit slow to pick up on that, considering that it's so prevalent and myself, and I'm sure you guys as well, probably do a lot of what you do during the day just through your mobile apps. And um, a surprise, it took so long for, for the utilities to, uh, to really adopt that as a way to interface with their clients. I think too, I understand too why some things go slow with the utility because uh, w one of their main obligations, and I think it's really important, is to provide elect uh, reliable service. And there's a lot of reliability standards that they have to comply with. And they're not to be, you know, minimalized or ignored in any way because um, we, we've got a very reliable infrastructure in this country and I, I don't want to see anything happen to undermine that. So. Um, you know, I think on, I'm more on the, uh, the wholesale side of the utility. I think they're doing some good things with uh, automating their, their grid management um, to try to, you know, reduce outages and, you know, maintain reliability. And, and I can understand where, you know, things like that um, might, might be perceived as slower than, than somewhere, some other industries, but um, it's just such a critical service that I, I think there's a lot of due diligence that happens that's that's necessary i wouldn't critique that i think it's but i think there's a reason why maybe some of these uses of data are, are taking a little bit longer 
And John, actually, we had um, a report that we we asked a, a bunch of utilities around kind of their distributed grid strategy and, and how they're leveraging decentralized assets on the grid, DERs, things like that. And one of the main challenges that they came back with, actually the top challenge was just maintaining reliability and meeting regulatory requirements. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, that's definitely what our data tells us. But on the reverse side, we also asked this question asking, are you, how are you feeling about the speed of dis- deploying some of your distributed grid strategies? And a lot of utilities felt that they were pretty comfortable with the speed that they're moving at. So I think that, yeah. you know, there is a lot of, um, education going on as they are also uh, trying to move forward with some of these things. But that's the also why partnerships are so important because utilities aren't going to be able to figure it out by themselves. We're very aware of that. So um, I think you're right. Utilities partnering with these, these innovation, you know, companies, I think is, that's a great, that's a great model because utilities have a a really critical role to play, you know, in, in, in the economy. Um, but I don't think they're, you know, they're not focused on trying to be the most innovative software company out there. And there's a lot of other companies that are, that could be great partners. So I have a fun activity for us to, for us to do right now. Uh, you, (laughs) you kind of live and breathe data through your work, through different industries, different regions, just seeing how people are utilizing this data. So taking everything you've learned into account, it's time to play data doctor and do some prescriptive data do's and don'ts. I thought you said this was going to be fun, Dylan. <laughs> well, fun for us. Yeah, hey, thanks. <laughs> I have a lot of data do's, and maybe the don'ts are the, don'ts are the opposite. But um, the first do is you have to seriously you know, understand and comply with information security practices. So I'll give some examples uh, just in our business. See, in Europe, they implemented the uh, general data protection regulations back last year, May 2018. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a good direction, I think, to move in, uh, in terms of, it's probably one of the more progressive, you know, movements in terms of just data protection and privacy of the data. And, and since they've done that, you know, there's been even more stories that have come out recently around, um, potentially new regulations in Europe and Australia, other countries and potential penalties for companies that don't abide by data privacy type protection. So. You absolutely need to, you know, understand and comply with with these rules um, because they're here to stay, and they're also very they're they're in place for the protection of all the, you know, all of us who are trying to take advantage of these services. So that they are in the end good for all of us. So, um, and then there's the similar type data process controls in some of our businesses the uh, there's standards organizations that have been around for years the uh, you know ISO has certain standards that that we comply with um, SOC 1 and SOC 2 compliance are a couple standards here in the US that we that we comply with and that we also another do is as part of those compliances you you know you really you're subject to annual audits um, to ensure that you know you're maintaining your compliance and your standards, so you really have to abide by all and you know participate in, the, in these audits. We we do things like scheduled uh, security penetration testing. We have QA managers who you know schedule and conduct these. Uh, there's things around uh, just data uh, protection and replication 
so that uh, you can use tech, you know, there's lots of technologies today, so you can almost ensure that you have zero data loss in the case of some kind of um, malware incident or some kind of, you know, hacking. But th there's all sorts of, the, the list of dues is just getting longer and longer. And, you know, most organizations have chief information security officers these days, as do we. And it's 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 a full time focus uh, that that needs to be taken very seriously, and th there's so much to do. Uh, the, the things that we do today as a company on our data security side, compared to three years ago, some of these might not have existed, um, and, and we expect there's going to be more to come. So it's there's a long list of do's uh, in terms of you know process controls and and data security. So the don'ts, <laughs> the don'ts are kind of you know make sure you do the do's, right? So yeah, I think. You know, when I think about the don'ts, it's almost on a weekly basis, you're seeing stories about some of the new risks and consequences of not complying with data controls and data security. So you almost don't have to look that far than the news to see, you know, where the don'ts are. You're like, oh my goodness, I didn't, I didn't realize, you know, something just came up recently. I'm trying to remember with Facebook, I think. Uh, I think watch the headlines and you'll so, see some of the don'ts, but make sure you understand the do's first. So don't commit crimes. Got it. Don't be yeah. that guy. <laughs> don't be that it's guy. Kind of, Darren, it's, don't be that guy. Is it? <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, you don't even know who that guy is because things are changing so fast. So um, don't don't ignore this. I guess is is probably the, the the biggest thing I could say. And do if you're not already devoting the energy and time on this, do, please do because it's really important. My biggest don't that I've would think about after having conversations with utilities um, and Dylan, you know, we, we study kind of the whole digitalization transformation. One of the biggest issues I think I'm hearing is a lot of times utility employees or energy employees are think about data in a very particular way and for one use. And so my don't would be, don't think about how a data set can be applied to one problem. Do think about how you can use different types of data to solve different types of problems. Digital transformation means that information is going to move differently throughout your organization as yeah. things become digital and information is easier to share. So don't be so siloed in addressing one issue with one type of data. Think about how that type of data, that data can help solve other problems, maybe not today or immediately tomorrow, but three years, five years, 10 years down the line. How can I create something that allows data to move freely and be agile in order to get into the hands of the people that may need yeah. it in a yeah. few years, as well as solving problems today. So that's, that's my don't. That's a good one. Good job, Aaron. Well, for those of you playing along at home, your T chart should be full by now. <laughs> uh, to that end, John, thanks for coming on and talking about data and the customer experience. It's, it's something that we're going to have to keep in mind going forward as a digital, in the digital space. Right. Thanks, Dylan and Aaron, for having me. I enjoyed uh, spending some time with you and your listeners. We loved having you. And thanks for being on, Aaron, as always. Thank you, Dylan. I had a great time. So, And for those of you at home, thanks for listening. Please do find our research and media at etsinsights.com. Uh, please do follow us on social media at DUI Lockwood, at Aaron underscore Hardick, 
at Z prime underscore research. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, energy thought summit, where we will be uploading videos from the energy thought summit conference very shortly. My name is Dylan and we'll see you all next time. Thank you.